our readings are taken from Galatians 3, verses 1 to 9. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before your very eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observed the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is the word of God. Sorry, we've had all sorts of technological issues and stuff this morning, so let's pray that God will make us focused so that we can hear his word. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that it speaks, and we thank you that it's powerful, that it uh, opens blind eyes and it transforms lives. And Lord, we pray that this morning you will speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jonah. What's the difference between news and advice? News and advice. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great preachers of uh, England, um, said in a sermon, advice is counsel about something that hasn't happened yet, but you can do something about it. News is a report about something that has happened, which you can't do anything about because it has been done for you, and all you can do is to respond to it. So in a war, military advisors go to war giving advice to the generals to how, you know, how many infantry should go where and how many tanks should go where and how they should strategize. And if their advice is good, they will win the war. But news, of course, is different. It's a report of what has already happened. Reporters go into the battle. They see where the infantry went and they see where the tanks went, which bridges were taken, what the strategy was, and then they report on the outcome of that battle. And Paul, in verse 1, I think is trying to draw on that difference between advice and news. Take a look at that there in in verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. What Paul is saying there is that good news of Jesus is not advice. It's news of what has happened. What he has tried to do is he, had, he tried to portray Christ as crucified and report on that news. He's, uh, and, and, uh, in fact, this is the gospel. The gospel means good news, news of things that has happened. And the reason why Jesus' crucifixion is good news for us is found in the verse before, one verse before in chapter 2, verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if, if the righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. 
Jesus died on the cross because he would give us what he earned, the righteousness of the law by dying for us on the cross. He died so that that great exchange could happen, that we could give him our sin, our death, and then he would give us what he deserves, the righteousness and life that we didn't deserve. And what he's saying there is that he preached Christ crucified. He didn't give you advice on how to live your life. He reported on the news of Jesus' death and why that means good news for us. And if we, uh, uh, if Christ then died for these things, he's saying, and if you are trying to add to Christ's work, or if you go back to salvation by works, then you're making a mockery of the cross. We're saying that we didn't need the cross at all or that Jesus died for nothing. So he reminds them, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. Before your very eyes, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And really, this is the difference between all other religions and Christianity, isn't it? All other religions give you advice. Quran gives you a way of living not just a revelation of who God is, but a way of living for you to live your life correctly so that God would accept you. When Buddhists portray Buddha, he's often meditating. He's emptying himself and he's sort of emptying himself of evil desires and whatnot. And he's giving a way of living that we should empty ourselves uh, of evil desires and become more like him that we might also be sort of enlightened or whatever. He's giving an advice on how we should live our life. And Hindus do something similar. But when Christians portray Christ, we don't portray often, portray Christ doing something, healing or walking on water or feeding the poor even. The Christian symbol for Christianity is the cross. When we preach, we say Jesus has been crucified. That is the Christian symbol. That is because our work, our news is different. We we, we declare what has been done for us, that Christ died for our sins, that there's nothing else that we have to add, there's nothing else that we have to do to earn this salvation because it has been done for us. We preach Christ crucified. We preach grace. But here is the problem. Even when you understand this, even when you were quite moved by the gospel message, our tendency is to go back to works righteousness, to try to work at our own salvation, isn't it? And that's the, that's the tendency that Paul points to Galatians, uh, to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Take a look at there. He says, Galatians did exactly the same. Are you so foolish? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? He's saying, you began with grace. You began by faith. You began with the Spirit. Now, why do you go back? Why are you going back to the means of the flesh? And he's talking about their conversion experience here. He draws on from the conversion experience. And let me just say that some conversions are quite quiet. It seems not very uh, very extraordinary. Uh, C.S. Lewis. uh, C.S. Lewis uh, had a very ordinary conversion. I mean, he had lots of conversations with his friends, but he describes a moment of conversion in this way. He says, I was driven to Whipsnake Zoo one Sunday morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we, when we, re- when we reached, the, reached the zoo, I did. 
Yet I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. Emotional is perhaps the last word we can apply to some of the most important events. It was more like when a man, after a long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. You know, he's saying this was quite ordinary for him. He didn't believe, but he now believes. And he, he, it's, it's, a, it's like a man who just woke up and goes, oh, I'm, I'm awake. He lives a new life. That's how he sees um, his conversion story. Sorry. Another man that I very much admire had a similarly quiet conversion, John Stott. John Stott heard uh, 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 Eric uh, Nash preach, um, and he said that that evening he went to his bed, bedside, knelt before, uh, knelt, before the bed, uh, knelt before the bed, and prayed a prayer. He opened his heart to Christ, and that, this is how he describes his conversion. I saw no flash of lightning. In fact, I had no emotional experience at all. I just crept into bed and went to sleep. For weeks afterwards, even months, I was unsure what had happened to me. But gradually, I grew, as the diary I was writing at the time makes it clear, into clearer understanding and firmer assurance of salvation and lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, these two great men, John, uh, John Stott, C.S. Lewis, they had a quiet conversion. They didn't even, they, I mean, John Stott says, I didn't even know that, I, I didn't know that something great has changed. But that over time, his understanding of God uh, became more clear. So I want you, I want you to know, if, if you've had a quiet conversion, that is fine. That is fine. But I want you to know that, that you converted, that you come, came to believe in Jesus Christ, that is work of the Holy Spirit. Only when Spirit opens our blind eyes can we believe in Jesus. Can, can we live a new life? Can we awake from our sleep? That is work of the Holy Spirit. And verse 2 equates receiving the Spirit with believing the message of Christ. But, at the same time, some of you had extraordinary conversions, haven't you? It might have been something of a very strong emotional experience. When you received Christ, when you heard this message, you believed and your, your heart was touched. Maybe you just cried in a way that you don't normally do. Maybe you just felt the love of God and the grace of God. You grasped it in a, in a new way and it was a new experience. You felt like a new person. Or some of you have been uh, uh, have been converted because of a miracle or a healing or the extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit. This happens. And actually, this is what happened to the Galatians. Galatians, when they, when they converted, it was with the power, powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came and they were converted in a, in a way that they couldn't deny. Which is why he asked the question in verse 2. He says, in verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing in what you have heard? Of course, the Spirit came. The answer is the Spirit came when they believed, not by works of the law. When they believed in the message of Jesus Christ, the Spirit was poured out and they couldn't deny that they were converted, that God was at work in that room. And he asked another similar question in verse 5. Did the miracles happen by observing the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? Of course, miracles happen when they believed, he says. But here's the thing. The point of this passage isn't, isn't to uh, ask whether, the, whether conversions should be emotional or it should happen in an extraordinary way or not. That's not the point. The point Paul is asking is, when did this happen? When did this happen? 
Did it happen when you believed? Or did it happen when you did some works? Works of the law. When you fulfilled the works of the law. That's the question he's asking in verse 3. When did it happen? Did it happen when you believed? Or did it happen through the observing, uh, uh, observing the law? And the point that he's, uh, the, the, what he's asking is, if you started then with faith, because clearly Holy Spirit came when you believed, if you started with faith, why then go back to works of the law? Why go back to observing the law as if that's what gave you the Holy Spirit? No, you started with faith, and you should finish with faith. All of your life, you should trust in the grace of Christ instead of going back to the works of the law. That's what he's trying to, trying to, trying to say because the Galatians had such an extraordinary uh, conversion story. Actually, the same question should be asked to all of us. If our Christian lives began with faith in Jesus Christ, then why do some of us go back to thinking um, that our self-worth our good uh, sense of goodness and ultimately sense of salvation comes from how well we observe the law. Why do we do that? When we became new being, when uh, we believed in Christ, why do we go back to the works of the law? And if you think that you don't do this, think about the rules, all the rules that we add to the Christian life. I mean, we all start out saying that actually it is all about grace. That we become a Christian when we believe in the grace of Christ. We say that, don't we? But we then say, well, real Christians, well, real Christians don't drink. Or real Christians read the Bible every day. Real Christians spend an hour praying every day. Real Christians um, don't watch any scandalous movies or a real Christians tithe. As if these things make us Christian. As if these things uh, by doing these things, God has poured out the Holy Spirit upon us. No, this is not true. Friends, who has fooled you? When did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believed or when you stopped drinking? Or when you started to read the Bible every day or pray every day? Of course, salvation came by faith. But if you started by faith, then why go back to the works of the law? Why do you live as if Christ Died for nothing, is what Paul's saying. And once again, maybe you don't think you have this problem, but think about um, when the last time you looked down on others, because this is a very subtle form of adding to the works of Christ, when we start looking down on other sinners. You remember the Pharisee who was uh, uh, standing next to uh, these other people praying. He prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector here. You know, you might not have prayed a prayer like that, but um, if you're like me, you probably have thought it. Yeah, God, thank you that I'm not like this guy here. Uh, And then uh, the next step is really dangerous. Uh, Next step is to then compare yourself to these other sinners and count on all the ways that you're in which you are better. And this is what the Pharisee did in the next verse. I fast twice a week, and I give tenth of all I get. And we do this too, don't we? I go to church. I tithe. I do good things. I'm a good person. I'm better than these other people. Friends, if you do this, 
you have added to the grace of Christ. Because now what you're saying is, my sense of salvation, where my assurance of salvation comes, does not come from faith in Christ, but how well I have been, how, how, how good I have been. It, it depends on my works. And if you've done that, you make the cross a mockery. You've added onto the cross of Christ. I, I need to be slightly careful here because I'm not saying that there is no moral progress. I'm not saying that uh, some of us are not better than others. Some of us are, clearly. right? Paul is a holy man. He's a much better person than I am. Uh, and when God saves us, actually God gives us the Holy Spirit and he sanctifies us. He makes us more like his, uh, his son Jesus Christ, more and more. And there will be differences here. Some people are, have, are recent converts and, or some people have been just far down the, down the path and so um, they're down here. But uh, for all of us, God has rescued us from our old way of life. He has saved us and he is sanctifying us. He's making us more like his son Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you should be thankful that God has rescued you from your old way of life. You should be thankful that God has poured out your spirit, that you are becoming more like Jesus. But what Paul is saying here and elsewhere um, in the Bible is that there should be no sense of superiority in this. That there should be no sense of, I am better than this guy. Because of this, because all that is done by Christ, all that is done by the cross of Christ, all that is done by the spirit of Christ who is at work in us, Christ works in us. And I think Paul, Apostle Paul, had that sort of humility, and we can see it in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talks about um, his life. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. He acknowledges that he was a sinner, that he was a terrible sinner, that God has rescued him. But he says that his grace was not without effect. He has changed. He is changing more. But then he'll go on to say that he works hard, but yet not him, but the grace of God that, that was in him. It's grace. It's faith. It's the gospel. We start with it, and we must end with it. And that we start and end with this faith in Christ Jesus is very, very important for other reasons too. Um, because this faith is what unifies all of us. Everyone in this church is uni- united in Christ through this faith and through this faith only. In fact, um, this is what united the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians back in Galatia as well. For the Jews, Think about how they thought. Um, think about how they thought of themselves. What united them was works of the law. You know, Jewish people, Jewish men, got circumcised. How do you know that you were one of them? Well, you were circumcised. How do you know that you were one of them? Because they obeyed the Sabbath law or the food law. Through this, they assured they separated themselves from other people. Uh, um, and um, God gave this law of circumcision to Abraham, and from then on, all the children of Abraham were circumcised. So when Jewish people, Jewish people then became Christians, they started to insist that if you want to be part of God's people, you still need to be circumcised. This is how you distinguish yourself from other 
people. Uh, how you mark yourself as God's people. But take a look, once again, at the Bible, um, verses 6 and on, and how Paul destroys this argument. Paul says in verse 6 that what was what credited righteousness to Abraham was not his circumcision. It wasn't his obedience to the law, but it was his faith. Paul goes back to Genesis 15, 6. He quotes from there and says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham, father of all these Jewish people, he was credited as righteous when he believed. And remember the context. The context is God's provision for him. God lifted his eyes and he says, look at the stars. Your descendants will be like this. It was an impossible thing. He had a barren wife and no children at the time. But Abraham believed. And that was accredited to him. Righteousness was given to him when he believed. And the timing makes that even clearer because that's in chapter 15. Uh, in chapter 17, God once again renews that covenant by giving him the covenant of circumcision. But that circumcision came after this event when he believed. And so Paul concludes in verse 7, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. You know, Jewish people might still say, um, I'm a child of Abraham because I come from Abraham. What Paul says is something that's much more radical. Paul says, if you share his faith, if you believe in Christ, you are a child of Abraham. You are the child of Abraham. It doesn't come from, you don't become a child of Abraham through law, through the blood even. You become a child of Abraham and child of God through faith in Christ Jesus, through faith in Yahweh God's provision. And this is what he said, why he says, verse 8, that doctrine of justification was, by faith, was foretold to Abraham in advance, in verse 8. When he says that Abraham, through Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. God meant that all nations will be blessed, not by works, not by setting yourselves apart from others, by observing these laws, but through faith, like Abraham, Abraham's. And I hope you you can see how this is great news for evangelism. Could you imagine if we had to preach uh, another gospel other than this one, where we had to require those who come to faith in Jesus to stop working on Sabbath day, to stop um, uh, eating shrimp and pork. I mean, gospel would have gone nowhere in China. To not to mingle with non-Christians or to uh, require all men to be circumcised. I'm not sure how many people, how many nations, Gentiles, will have been blessed by this. No, we're not justified by works of the law, but we are justified through faith alone. And that faith is what unites united Jewish and Gentile Christians back then and what unites all of us today. The basis of our unity is not... Uh, the way we obey certain kinds of laws. It's not by circumcision. It's not by uh, even giving or, or, or uh, nationality. Uh, it's not based on the observance of certain laws. We are all children of God because of our f- common faith in Jesus Christ. That's what makes all of us with our diverse nationality, personalities, um, preferences, and all these things. That's what unites all of us together today. Faith in Christ Jesus. 
And there was an interesting discussion that I heard on the Gospel Coalition website, a video uh, that was asking, should all churches be multi-ethnic? A simple answer, I think, is yes. Whenever that is possible, it should. We should try, because as a church, this is what this means, as a church, we are a showcase for the gospel for the rest of the world. We are a showcase for the gospel. In Hong Kong, we have an opportunity to demonstrate that the gospel is for all people. People from Hong Kong, people from New Zealand, people from England, people from Nigeria, people from all over the world, and not just the nationalities, socioeconomic level, people, uh, people who are rich, people who are poor, education level, or whatever it is. We have an opportunity here in Hong Kong to demonstrate that gospel is for all people. This means that we strive to demonstrate that gospel here in this church. We say, uh, this, um, uh, we work hard at being united in faith in Christ Jesus, uh, uh, regardless of all our differences. And uh, I think one of the great things about Shatin Church is that we do this. And I want to commend you all um, in, in doing this. I think, I hope you're a vis- if you're a visitor, you get the sense that this is something that is important to our identity as in Shatin Church. This is something that we try very hard at, that we try to be a family of Christ, of people who are very, very different from us. So I want to commend you from doing this. But we can get better, can't we? And the question that I want to ask is, who's in your diary? Who's in your diary? Who are you meeting with in the next couple of weeks? Are they all professionals like you? Are they all Filipinos like you? Or are they all Americans like you? Are they all young people like you? Are you only meeting with people? Are you only friends with people who are just like you? Because that is not the gospel. That is not the family that we have been called to as Christians. Although the unity is given to us, I want to remind you that this unity is hard. It's, we need to work at it as well because our tendency is to go back to people who are exactly like us and not bring about this gospel unity. Diversity in our friendship and relationship in, in a city like Hong Kong is not a trivial matter. It is a gospel matter. It's something that Christ has made possible by dying for us, by being able to make all of us united in him, make a family in him. And it makes a huge difference. In 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, America went through civil rights movement where um, uh, they, uh, people fought against racism because racism was very real. And one of the most disappointing about the churches at the time, American churches at the time, was how segregated they were. Black people went to black churches, white people went to white churches. I don't even know where Asians went at that point. But they all met separately. Sunday was the most segregated time in America. And actually, it still is. It's largely the same. People go to their separate churches. And some, um, some churches, instead of leading integration, many churches reinforced the segregation, some even by using scripture. But imagine, what if it had been different? What if it had been different? What if churches, so the world was separated by race, but when they entered into a church, they saw a different world. 
if the white Christians and the black Christians were worshiping in the same place, if they called each other brothers and sisters in Christ, what if the church exhibited that gospel? It was the showcase for the gospel for the rest of the world. Because that's what the gospel is. It unites us in faith in Christ Jesus. It makes us brothers and sisters of all people of all nations, people of all socioeconomic background, people of all education level, people of all personalities. Gospel brings us together. What if they had done that? Would the civil rights movement have been necessary? Would it have lasted for so long? How quickly would that change have come about? But how about Hong Kong? Divisions exist here as well. Socioeconomic level, Putonghua, Cantonese speakers, class, education level, ethnicities, we divide ourselves by all sorts of ways. But as a church, we need to lead in this. We need to work at being brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to showcase the gospel for the rest of the world. People might divide themselves along all sorts of ways, but when they enter into this church, they should see a different community. They should see a kingdom of God. They should see the spirit at work in all of us. We believe the gospel is good news, not advice. It means that the price has been paid, and we need to stick with it from beginning till the end until we die, but we need to walk in line with the gospel. And when we walk in line with the gospel, when we hold on to the faith that God has given to us, all our differences will, will be relativized. It won't be as important as what we have in common together, our new life in Christ Jesus, and that God will make us one that all might know, all nations, people of all socioeconomic background, all education level, or whatever it is, that they, the gospel is also for them. May Christ, may the Spirit work in us, that we may showcase the gospel here. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that your son Jesus died for us. And we thank you that there is nothing that we have to add to his work. But Lord, many of us have started with faith, but Lord, have fallen away to works righteousness. Help us to hold on to the grace of Christ alone, to faith in Christ alone. And Lord, as we do that, may you erase our trivial distinctions and may we be united in faith together. And may the world will come to, uh, maybe, may the world will know that the gospel is also for them. Work powerfully through the Spirit among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.